Wouldn't it be nice to take a trip down memory lane and remember what it was like being a medical student? Are you curious to learn what the medical student of today is going through and how they are supporting themselves? Well, we would love to share some of these journeys with you in our special segment, Setting the Stage, the Medical Student Memoirs. Perhaps we can share some wisdom from these journeys for the medical students in our lives or those who plan to embark on this journey soon. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Reset MD podcast. I'm your host, Faria Shafi, and welcome to our special edition, Setting the Stage, the Medical Student Memoirs. With us today, we have Danya Mazafer, a medical student from a Caribbean medical school. She's an M1 um, who has left home to pursue her dreams of become a phys- becoming a physician. And we're so glad that she is here to join us and give us a little insight into what it is to be a medical student overseas um, and how um, medical student life has treated her this far. Well, welcome, Danya. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I am envious looking at you <laughs> right now with the beautiful sun and yes. yeah, yeah. And me it, is a, it is a true, honestly, a true bliss. Like, I mean, we, for the last couple of days, we've had rain, but it's always sunny in the Caribbean. So yeah, absolutely I, wonderful. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I went to med school in the Caribbean also. I did not know that actually. Yeah, yeah, the Dominican Republic. So I was there for five years and it was beautiful. Like it would rain and then um, you know, it would just be back to being beautiful in a few hours. So I, I missed that. The rain never stays. That's that's the beauty part of it is that it'll rain and then by evenings you'll still see the sunset. So yeah, and it's beautiful. The sky and the ocean, I feel like look the same right now. So pretty. Yep. All right. So um, I think, uh, you know, when we had met, I told you a little bit about this uh, special series that we're doing um, specifically for medical students. And I'm just trying to, you know, gauge what different student, different uh, medical students from different facets of life, you know, being international medical graduates or being part of, um, you know, different universities across uh, the states, what their experiences as a medical student are and um, what life is like right now because most of the time you know I talk to people who are my age group and it's been a few decades since we left med school so I just right. want a feeling for what it is to be a medical student and I'm going to start off by letting you tell us your story of how you decided to go into medicine and what led you to choose that and how you landed in the Caribbean. Um, so for me medicine has always been um, not necessarily my primary choice but it was something I think even from childhood that I was, I was just a very curious child. I always wanted to learn. I always wanted to, um, I, I think really from a lot, and a lot of people tell me this too, like when they knew me as a child, that I wanted to be a lifelong learner. Like, I think I was born to be a learner. And so I always wanted to find something that would nur- nurture that aspect of myself. Um, but my first ever experience with healthcare was actually through my father. Um, he had his first angina attack when I was seven years old and consequently needed open heart surgery. A couple of months later and during that experience um obviously very curious child i i wanted to know everything and anything about what was happening to my father um and i used to carry around this little notebook where i would write questions in my very very hilarious seven-year-old writing and spelling it's, it was borderline illegible but it made <laughs> sense to me and 
I, when we, as a family, obviously, you know, the, the surgeon takes you back um, to explain what's going to happen, all the things with the family and so on and so forth. And I, I just walked up to him with my little book. And I was like, I have a couple of questions if you, if you want to answer. And he was absolutely wonderful with it. He sat me down. He actually answered my questions of, okay, so the heart is, you know, it beats blood, you know, it beats and it sends blood throughout your body. And he explained in like the easiest way possible what a coronary artery um, blockages and why my dad needs to have surgery. And it, I, at that moment, I remember as a kid just being, I want to be this when I grow up. Like I, I want to be him. I, I want to be this for someone else. And even then though, uh, healthcare obviously was not, I, I wanted to be a teacher um, is sort of like what I got from that experience. But to become a doctor really got solidified when I um, worked in hospice care. I did research for hospice when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And because for me, healthcare, what always daunted me about healthcare was the fact that we're always trying to make people better. Mm-hmm. But what if we can't make them better? Um, does that mean that we're failure as physicians? Does that mean we're failure as healthcare professionals? Or can there be another aspect of healthcare that can support you through the situations where you can't get better? And hospice gave me those answers. And it was truly at that point what solidified me because hospice really taught me that at the end of the day, you know, being in healthcare, being a healthcare professional, being a physician, especially, you are more than just, you are more than just saving their life. You, you know, you are, you're their guide, you're their pillar of support. And at the end of the day, you are helping them through these turbulent points in their life, whether that is the aspect of getting better, or that is the aspect of um, taking death with dignity. Um, it was, that truly was what set me for healthcare. And so the, um, this was when I really decided on medicine, it was halfway through my undergraduate career, really. Um, before then, I obviously doubled in thinking of going into medicine, but it wasn't really solidified until the middle. But by then I had, um, academics were very difficult for me. And so I had a really hard time sort of maintaining a good enough GPA that would eventually lead me to get into medical school in the United States. And so, after doing undergraduate and consequently a master's degree, I really started looking at the Caribbean as an option for me to still pursue my dream, but also um, have a new experience in life. Um, experience being away from home, experience being surrounded by people who are like me, who have sort of, you know, maybe healthcare was not the first option for them, or maybe healthcare is a new career. The great thing with being here is that there's so many people here where they healthcare was not their first option and they're sort of going back into career and trying to change their career path and so it's 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 a very enriching environment to be here to be surrounded by people that are in so many different aspects of their life but trying to achieve the same goal that you are and so I ended up in the Caribbean as more of a um a fear hesitation that I was like oh I'm doing something you know I'm going to be so far away from home but honestly ever since I've been here I have I had no regrets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, was there a specific reason to choose the Caribbean as opposed to, you know, maybe looking at other countries? Or was it, you know, it was just the right amount of far, being far away from home? It's, it's, it was honestly really just that. It was the Caribbean was a great option for that because there was always the option to come back. Um, and so that's, at the end of the day, that's really what helped me decide here. But since coming here, I've also realized that it's been a great opportunity for me to be challenged academically to meet new people. So it ended up being the right choice regardless. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me, 
is it everything you hoped it would be and better? Or is it like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe it was a good idea second guessing this choice in medicine. So, and I know you've only been there uh, for a short time, but what, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what is keeping you grounded and attached to medicine as opposed to, mm, should I have really done this? I think what, so I, I mean, I feel like every med student has these points where they'll have a hard exam or they'll have not a good exam or they'll have a bad assessment and they get stuck in this very, honestly, very hard place of, am I still deserving to be here? Am I still good enough? Essentially imposter syndrome in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've learned over time what really keeps me grounded are two things. Um, one, obviously, the aspect that if I made it this far, I'm probably good enough to be here. So on the academic aspects of things, if I made it this far, I'm clearly smart enough to be here. So I don't know why I'm doubting that. But to still stay with healthcare, I actually do um, this thing where I'm, my personal statement is something that I did very personally. Um, so whenever I start having these sort of hesitations with healthcare and start forgetting why I'm here to begin with, I go back and read my personal statement. And it reminds me of all the reasons that I chose healthcare and all the reasons that I still thought to be here. Because it is really easy when you're in the thick of things to sort of forget why you're doing what you're doing. Um, obviously, you know, like I, I fully respect people that might not, you know, after doing these experiences, mm -hmm. choose themselves. But for me, I feel like choosing myself is choosing healthcare because it really defines everything I want to do in the future, whether that is my childhood dream of being a lifelong learner or more of like my adult aspirations of being a support system for people as they go through the health system, because it is health, the healthcare system is very complicated. It's very convoluted. It has nuances that are very difficult to go through. And then, and it, I feel like that's what really keeps me going is that I hope one day to be that surgeon for someone else. Like the surgeon was for me as a kid. I want to be that for someone else in the future. And to be really honest, you don't have to be a surgeon to be that somebody for somebody else. Oh, right? of course, absolutely. Facets, but I, I, I absolutely love what you say, said that, you know, you go back to your why. And I think that holds too for every passion in our lives. If you don't remember the why, then the what and how doesn't make sense, right? It's very difficult to sort through it. But if you remember your why, it, it's very easy to get kind of grounded back and um, understand, you know, the what, why, and, you know, and how, and you can sort through it. But if that why gets dwindled, then it's very difficult to find your being. Do you feel like, and I know you, so I know that you're generally, uh, you know, a very bubbly, positive person, but do you feel like there are other students around you who kind of lose track of that why over a course of time? Because I can imagine it's really hard for some of them. It's their second careers and they're far away from home. Do you feel like you see that there's a lot more loss of the why or do you feel like there's enough of a community where people can remember it often or are reminded of it often? I feel like it's a cycle. Um, so I personally, you know, I, mean, I know, like, as you said, I'm a very bubbly personality, but I've definitely cycle through deep moments in my life where I've really had to sit down and be like, do I still want this? Because um, it's hard. It's so hard as, as pre-meds trying to get into med school, that whole honestly process is so draining where you have to, it's, and I, I mean, I know that like, I feel like maybe um, people in like further in medicine might also feel that way in the process of trying to get residency. Like you sort of, 
you have to become an open book and then people judge that open book. And it's really hard to sort of keep yourself grounded. But what I've really appreciated about being here, especially, and obviously I haven't experienced any other medical school, so I don't really know, or just any other medical community. But what I really appreciate here is that I'm, I really am surrounded by people that I know that I can support that are like my support system or that support each other. I feel like, and that's what I love the most about being here is that I have, there are, there are so many people here that like non-judgmentally will support you even at your, your hardest times. Um, Cause as you said, you know, like, especially for people who are career changers or like, or people that are like later in life and they're coming to medicine so late um, it's, we are, we are supported. It, it feels nice. And it's, it's more like more due to, I feel like the student body community is so supportive. Like we, there are obviously aspects of it that become competitive, but I feel like that's, you know, medical education in a nutshell, but it, there's always so much support here. I, I really do feel like I've, so tell I've been supported about, in taking it. Yeah. Tell me about the aspects of support. Um, Cause I've been talking to a few different medical students. And I think one of the things that keeps being brought up over and over again is support. So what does support look like to you? What, what gives you that ability to feel like you can be successful because I have X? Uh, for me, support, especially because I'm so far away from home, is having people here that I can depend on when I'm not feeling my best. Um, you know, everyone has bad days. Everyone has struggles. Um, it's so easy as a medical student with the amount of information that we have to go through for any specific exam or assessment to sort of lose track of ourselves. Um, but for me, support is really those friends here that I can just uninhibitedly knock on their door and be like, I feel overwhelmed. Can I just sit for you a second? Or some of my problematic habits when I get really stressed is I forget to eat. I forget to have a hard, like I have a really hard time sleeping. I like, or if I forgo sleep, I forgo eat and I get too hyper-focused. I have friends here that will actually just send me a text like, Hey, like, have you had lunch yet? Let's go get lunch. Or uh, text me and be like, if you're awake right now and you respond to me, you should go to bed. Um, so just tiny little things to like keeping. And those are just, you know, those are just day-to-day -day things. But I know for a fact that there are people here that if I am feeling very horrible, they will take time out and sit with me and listen to me talk. And that that's the true support that I'm so grateful for. What about um, the administration and the organization as a whole? Do you feel that there's a lot of support that way? Like if you had to go beyond your circle, circle of friends, that there would be... Um that same ability to knock on a door and find somebody? Uh, so I have. And uh, that's the other thing that I really appreciate with faculty here is that I can actually knock on their door. Um, and I've done it to a couple of faculty where I've been so confused about a topic that I've just knocked on their door and be like, I know this isn't normal office hours and I know this is the <laughs> time, but can I go over this conversation? And they've actually sat me down. I mean, just a couple of days ago, actually. Um, and the other great thing about being here as well as that we're all here on a small enclosed space so you'll actually meet faculty and staff outside of regular school hours I was uh -huh. actually just sitting and studying and one of my professors walked by and saw um my whiteboard writing about a concept he's like oh is that from my lecture I was like yeah I was like oh are you having a like are you having a problem with any concept I was like actually this is that and you know the professor actually sat down with me and reviewed it and so there's, I feel like because we're in such an enclosed space, um, it is easier to get that support from administration because you actually see them outside of the school setting sometimes, which is, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of the time that I recently met you, which was, um, I think it was 
kind of sort of fall break, but you called it something else. You said that your university calls it something else and everybody's supposed to like take time and tell me all no. that stuff that you had on, because that fascinated me, like all the stuff that's available on campus for you guys. Yeah, so we have a whole, we had a whole day off and this actually happens every semester, which um, it's a day off for wellness. And essentially on those days from the university, um, like well, like psychological services center, they sort of pioneer this aspect of it, but like there's wellness things um, installed. Like you can have morning yoga, there's hiking, there's um, massages, there's little like wellness activities that you can do on that day. And it, it really is a day that's given for the sole purpose that you take time for yourself off. Um, whether that unwinding is on campus, spending time with like friends here, or whether that unwinding in my case is going home. Um, we're sort of given that option to really step back from uh, the school as a whole and really spend time to unwind, which is really nice. So that, like that, does the week happen every semester or does the day happen every semester where there's no classes and you just get to like basically? There's a day. There's one day every semester that is fully, that is solely dedicated for wellness. Um, and nothing is scheduled that day. There's no lectures that day. There's no activities that day, nothing. Just time. So does the university then have you do a well-being survey and are you supposed to track your well-being every semester or every few months or is there no such thing you just you figure you define your own well-being however you want to? I haven't yeah I mean I actually that's essentially what it is I feel like it's more self-directed um, but it's something that I've been very proactive with um, I, I mean I remember we talked about it before too it was like one of the first things that I did when I entered med school was get a therapist. Um, because I knew very, very early on, just through my own experiences with like my undergrad and my master's that this is a whole new ball game. And I, I have to be able to have that, you know, unbiased support as I'm trying to juggle sort of my own struggles with um, academics and anxiety and test taking anxiety and all those things. So I was very, and there's many people here that are proactive in that sense too. So it's been nice. And you have enough therapists available to provide that support or were you supposed to go find somebody on your own? Uh, we have a lot, many actually, um, which, and, and when you're going through sort of like um, scheduling your initial appointment, I remember seeing the list and almost getting overwhelmed because there were so many appointments and so many providers that had options. And then after my own first initial therapy appointment, um, my therapist was very open and said, you know, if our dynamic didn't work for you. We have many others that I can totally help you schedule right now. Or if you think that we're good, then we can go ahead and schedule together right now. Or if you feel like maybe therapy isn't for you, I can help you find other aspects of support. Um, it, so was, this it was really is, nice. This is so different than what I've been hearing from the med students on the state side, because the struggle to actually get in to see a therapist is very real. Um, and generally what I hear is, yeah, the, you know, the, the university as a whole has these support systems available, they're free, but to get somebody is like, you know, an act of God, it takes a long time to find somebody and if you don't gel with them, then to have to switch is very different. So I think this might be the first interview or, you know, like first conversation I'm having with a student where the experience is completely different. And I don't know why that would be the case because I mean, I, I would assume that um, the suppliers of these, um, uh, you know, therapy sessions, et cetera, are probably the same, right? Or is it specifically people from the Caribbean that are 
of providing uh, it's a combination of many things so a lot of i mean a lot of the therapists here are from all over the world actually um there's many local people but they're all on campus like they're they're it's, it's campus services and so yeah i mean there's there's two whole separate offices full of providers and there's also all um Another thing that I was actually made aware of recently that I didn't even know one is that they also have mandatory like designated up openings every day for emergency therapy sessions in the situation someone needs that, whether they come regularly for therapy or not. Um, they have like a whole section of times always open in the situation that you desperately need to get in. And this is in person. Mm -hmm. Not a Zoom session. No, no, they're in person. It was wow. Zoom only when we were online. And how many students do you think you have on campus? A lot. <laughs> a What's the average chunk. class size like? Uh, we're around 500 people per class. Wow. So that yeah. that is super impressive to me that you have that kind of support available. And I love the fact that you're saying like, this is not people from just, you know, from here, but people from all over the world. And at a time where mental health is in a state of crisis and, you know, truly my own experience trying to be able to get a therapist was like, yeah, it'll be six months. Um, so that, that really is surprising to me, but, you know, kudos to whatever your institution is doing, they're doing it right. That's awesome. And I love the concept of having these slots available for emergency sessions. In fact, I was actually sitting with my own students the other day and my whole thing was, you know, just like every med student gets a plot, you know, assigned an advisor or a counselor, you know, like an academic counselor, having a therapist be one of those mandatory things, whether you kind of what you said, whether you check in or not, you know, that's up to you if you're having a fine and dandy day. But what a difference that would make that somebody is checking in on you and making sure, are you okay? Because sometimes that's all somebody's waiting to hear, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's the thing too. Like, um, I'm very regular with my appointments, just because I'm like, you know, even if I am having a good time, I feel like it's always a good thing to sit down and have these conversations. But I was talking to my own therapist, and they were just like, yeah, you know, sometimes um, I have some students that will meet me only when they need me. Um, and they'll shoot me an email and we can get a time set up versus there's some students that I meet very frequently, like almost weekly. And then there are students like me that we like uh, we come in every like two to three weeks um, just to have like a two to three week check in. So there's a whole spectrum. Um, and I, I feel like that's the thing, like rather, I feel like the only thing that sort of becomes a problem sometimes is personal own hesitation. I know that because of, you know, so as a, as a brown person, I feel like there's so much stigma around taking care of your mental health. I feel like even if these services are available, because they are available and they're, they're told at every given moment, like after every exam, we get an email that reminds us of every single service that is offered to us in mm. the situation that we are struggling academically or struggling personally. Um, every email, like at the end of it, there's just a list. So like, this is psych services, this is academic support services, services this is yeah. um, advising services. So at the end of, so we're always reminded of these services, but I feel like what becomes a problem and why I agree that I feel like there should be like a a mandatory assigned therapist is that personal hesitations um mm -hmm. sort of dealing with that cultural stigma of i can't handle this i have to talk to someone else about it it's 
it's something that I took a, that I had a really hard time overcoming personally. Um, being like, you know, it isn't a bad thing to struggle. Um, it doesn't make me any less of a person to ask for help. So I feel like that's personally was a personal hindrance. And I feel like it also be a hindrance for many students when it comes to trying to get access to these services. Yeah, because being in medicine, you know, this whole culture, if you're infallible and you can't make a mistake and you're supposed to have it all figured out already, you know, and then what's wrong with you? You're going to go seek help like you're supposed to be helping other people. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm I'm hoping what you're saying is what what most people in medical student realize that they, this is normal. Like even for people who don't feel that they're anxious or depressed or whatever, having a therapist or having somebody else that you can unburden on and have an unbiased conversation with is pretty normal to do. Um, and I think, you know, what you said about these cultural barriers, then you don't have to worry about them. You know, there there have been so many times when my students are like, I need help. I need to be on medication. I know that, but my family does not feel comfortable with me getting on meds. And I'm like, but you know, you're an adult, you should be able to make that decision for yourself, but it's not that easy because we have so many of these cultural and, you know, our own ties that just really skews our um, ability to make that decision logically and whatnot. But I'm hoping that more and more people are thinking the way that you are, because I surely think that normalization of mental health and utilization of those services would probably help us a whole lot. Um, and something that you mentioned was, you know, um, while this support, et cetera, is being provided, um, you always didn't feel very comfortable talking about these little nitty gritties to your parents because you didn't want to burden them. And I don't know. I mean, uh, and your parents are not in the medical field, correct? No, they're not. Yeah. Do you feel sometimes like even if you had tried to talk to them, they probably would not understand where you were coming from? Or do you feel like they would have been okay, but you know, it probably wasn't the best thing to do to like, it's really the second one. And I, I mean, I, I have, I know that I can always depend and, and I do like, I always do tell my parents to some degree when I'm like not feeling okay, or when I feel very stressed out, but I feel like because it's an internal guilt problem more than anything, I know that they would be good supports. And I know that they would like understand where I'm coming from to some degree, but I never want to burden them with that information because it's sort of my struggle in a way right like me going through medical school is my own beast and so I I, I always feel it's this sort of like internalized sense of guilt that if I if I burden them too much with the my worries or like my and things that I know that are very not they're not going to be there forever. Like temporary exam anxiety, for Mm -hmm. example, being like, oh, like, oh, this exam, I don't know how I'm going to do or whatever. When in reality, usually I take the exam, I get the score. I'm like, oh, I was perfectly fine. You know, like those Mm -hmm. like temporary spikes of anxiety. I never feel like I want to burden them with that. Um, That's so lovely. Like what you're describing is you understanding like how to cope and deal with all of it. And I wonder sometimes, you know, how many of us, going into medical school necessarily have that insight and that maturity and whatever to understand. Um, and maybe, you know, if we did and we had these outside sources to depend on and to get help from, maybe we wouldn't always feel so anxious and overwhelmed. I mean, I love the way that you're describing this and the insights and the maturity with which you're dealing with it. And I'm just hoping that um, 
those sources are available more and more. So most of us are available to get to that level like you are. You know, this is a temporary spike. It'll go away. This is not the end of the world or in two years, this won't even matter. It's a very, honestly, it's a very new mindset for me. And I feel like it's a combination of having those good support systems, like academically, and also obviously mm -hmm. through um, mental health and wellness with a therapist. But I feel like a lot of it has been my own personal growth going through medicine. Cause I, I feel like a most, it might be a big generalization, but I feel like a lot of people that are in medicine are usually high achieving people. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually academically strong. They're usually people that have always done very well to some degree. And so for many people, I mean, I know for me personally, like I have never struggled as hard as I have until I got to med school when it comes yeah. to content, when it comes to, you know, everyone. And the thing is like, before you enter med school, whenever someone says, yeah, like, you know, med school information is like trying to drink water from a fire hose. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, ha ha ha, drink water from, no, it's real. Like, <laughs> the amount of information that gets thrown at you at any given moment and learning how to juggle that. I think one of the most important things I've learned so far, and granted, like I haven't been in medical school that long at all, but um, one of the things that I came to terms with fairly quickly was there is a limit to how much I can know mm -hmm. and I cannot know everything. So mm -hmm. rather than trying to give myself a million stages of anxiety, trying to know everything, I would rather like to efficiently spend my time learning the things that I know are important mm -hmm. that have a higher chance of doing well. Like one of the, one of the professors that I've actually reached out to, um, I had a conversation with them and one of the, one of the best things they told me was, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to exams, when it comes to, you know, your current school exams or when it comes to boards, your goal should never be, I answer every question correctly. Your goal yeah. should be, I answer as many questions as I possibly can. Yeah. As correctly as I can. And then the ones that are left over, I spend time on and answer as correctly as I can get to. But the, the goal should never be I answer every question correctly. Because that's impossible. Like we we can't know everything. Yeah. But what we can do is make sure that we know as much as we possibly can so we can get to a point where we're successful. So going from that, do you do you get a little bit of anxiety or unsurety about, oh, you know, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna graduate. Um, you, you know, am I going to be able to match into a residency or whatnot? Or do you feel like you'll get to that bridge when you get to it and you feel pretty confident in the tools that have been provided to you? I would actually say, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the, so the, I, for some reason, I don't know if it's just because I haven't reached that point. So it hasn't really hit me yet, but I've never really been daunted by the prospect of trying to get residency. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I've, experienced so much what I would consider personal failure to get to this point that even if for some wild reason I didn't get you know didn't match the first time or had struggled with match I don't think I would feel like it's the end of the world I I think it's it's rather than you know feeling fear about oh will I match or will I get a job mm -hmm. I think I've just had a big mental shift in my personal experiences to get to this point that you know even if it's, it's something that I actually did with a friend recently before our, um, before an exam, um, where I sat down and we were both sort of like starting to feel on edge about the exam and the content and how we would do on it. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, like, let's, let's think worst case scenario. Let's say that we failed the exam. What happens? Okay. So that means we probably fail the semester. Okay. Then what happens? Well, 
we would have to either retake the semester or you know find another way to go through the semester okay well let's say that we don't pass the second time around well what are the chances of that happening well pretty slim because the remainder of the semester we've done so well like mm -hmm. statistically it's pretty impossible for us to you know we're even you know throwing out irrational thought if we're thinking pure rationally with the like the academic record that we've had up until this point it is statistically impossible for us to fail multiple times and more importantly even if we so happen to fail this one exam it's pretty impossible for us to keep consistently failing to the point where we wouldn't be able to be successful so i feel like once you kind of go through it's it's, it's sort of like this really it's kind of like how you sometimes experience talking to a toddler where a toddler asks you a question and then they follow up with why mm -hmm. and you give the answer and then they're like why and then you give another answer and you're why it's kind of like doing that but sort of with worst case scenarios and then when you go through those scenarios you sort of stop and you realize every thought i've had up until this point is pretty irrational like yeah. and even if all of these really bad seemingly statistically impossible things did happen it wouldn't be the end of the world. I would still be okay. So I feel like that's really my mindset when it comes to the prospects of match. I, I feel like I will match, hopefully, eventually, to some degree, because I've been so I've been successful so far in my career path. And even in the situation that I'm not successful the first time, there's no way that I can't be successful again. And even I, if that ends up being the case. Yeah. I think I would still be okay because maybe that would be a sign that that's not meant to be. So I feel like after going through every worst case scenario, I realized I'd still be fine. So, you know, I, really I, actually, I actually hope that a lot of students that are going through the match right now, listen to what you have to say, because it's, <laughs> it's such, I, you know, these are aspects of a growth mindset. It's, it's very important to think of things like, you know, how you describe, you know, worst case scenario, it you know, wasn't meant to be, there is another path. And um, a lot of our fears being irrational, you know, the number of times I'll have kids coming up and they're like, Dr. Shafi, we applied to 68 programs. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, and it's only been like a month into interviews and I've only gotten 10 interviews. Okay. You know, statistically, how many do you need to actually match into the residency of your choice? And I know it's harder, but like, I, I think it's what you describe is so much of a mindset change that gets you successfully through med school or gets you through med school with you having aged a bazillion years, which you didn't need to. And of course, you know, what you said are a lot of things I wish I knew when I was in med school, even though med school probably wasn't as hard as it is right now. And probably life <laughs> and statistics weren't ad, as bad as they were right now. But I wish um, a lot of what you said, you know, failure is super important um, to to make progress in life. It's otherwise you know, what do you have if you don't have a little bit of loss? And so how do you know how to bounce back from them? And so that's, yeah, that's super important. So I, I know we're nearing the end of our conversation. So if you had two to three pearls of wisdom to share with a future medical student or, um, you know, med school administrators um, or whatnot to make medical school experience great, what would they be? Um, for people who want to come into medicine, I think one of the biggest things that I say to people that come up to me, they're like, hey, like, you know, what about, like, how would you go about the process? What do you, but I'll be like, first things first, how badly do you want this? Because at the end of the day, 
if you have even an inkling of doubt of what you like to go into medicine, it is really hard to survive medical school without having something grounding you, whether that is, you know, a personal drive to do this, or it is um, like a, like a knowledge-based drive to do this. It has to be strong enough that you can lean on it. Like for me, I lean a lot on my personal statement. I lean a lot on what I want to achieve as a person in society to be able to successfully keep me I mean, floating in medical school, because it is hard. It's daunting. And I would definitely start there with people who want to go into medicine. And then the other thing that I would say is that as you're going through the process of trying to get into medical school, it's horrible. It is very, it's, it's not a good time. Yeah. Um, and as you're going through that process, I really hope you have a good support system. Like I, I cannot even like stress enough how grateful I am for my friends, for my family, especially my parents who stuck with me through every successive cycle that I did because I did two application cycles and stuck with me and really kept me grounded as I you know had some achievements but also had failures and as I experienced sort of rejection um, rejection and something that I'm that really is so important to me it's really hard to keep yourself okay when you're being rejected on the one thing you are confident on so definitely as you're about to go through this process have a solid support system that can that you know you can comfortably lean on because it is difficult and then consequently um obviously I'm not too deep into medical school but when you get into medical school make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are a continual support as you're going through it you know make sure you really choose yourself first um obviously it's really important to make connections build build connections and have like you know, social life and make sure you're not getting burned. But at, at sometimes you have to choose yourself and be aware of that fact that sometimes you have to put your foot down and be like, you know, I don't think I could hang out with friends today. I think I need to focus on this, like learn to put boundaries and priorities. Um, for medical school administration, I feel like making sure that you have a very open door policy. Um, but not even, I mean, obviously that's step one, obviously, but I really a non-judgmental open door policy. I feel like with many institutions, sometimes what the problem becomes is that they have the door open, but then there's always that hesitation on the student's body side to use that open door just because of whether that's societal stigma of, you know, like, oh, like if I'm a, if I'm a weak medical student now, that means I'll be a weak doctor, which means I can't get the job done. Or it's a personal societal stigma of, oh, you know, culturally, if I, if I, you know, if, if I'm shown as someone weak, then I'm, I'm a weakling or, um, you know, culturally, if I'm, if I'm weak, then it'll look bad to my family, all of these things, right? To, I feel like having an open door is very important, but also making sure that it's a non-judgmental open door. Well, I think, you know, we, we call this setting the stage uh, in our Reset MD, and I think you've done a fantastic um job of setting the stage for success and i and i have loved just listening to your growth mindset <laughs> and you know how you have prepared yourself for the tough life that that you have to face and that's ahead so um super proud of you and i hope we get to do this more often and i hope we get to do this when you're a resident and thereafter and i would love know, to i i mean it's something that i'm incredibly passionate about because i think it's so important you know we are doctors but we're people first um, and we, we need to make Love sure that. we're okay before we can help other people. Love that. I am so glad you took the time to talk <laughs> to me. This was lovely. 
and uh, lots of words of wisdom from somebody who's so young, but I think a lot of wisdom to impart to a lot of us too, who've been doing this for a while, but forget a lot of these things along the way. So I appreciate it uh, with a lot of gratitude straight from my heart and those I mean, from thank you. I'm so glad that I was able to have this opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you, Danya. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Reset MD Podcast. If you'd like, reach out to us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.